Welcome to Walk in the Truth podcast. How do we know where to find answers to the toughest questions in life? While the simplest answer is the Bible, where do we start this search and how do we discover this truth? Today, in this teaching podcast, John Metter, lead pastor of Cross City Church, takes a specific text of the Bible and helps us find truth for the life we're searching for. We are so glad that you've joined us this morning, and uh, I do want to reiterate next week is a special week because it's uh, a mission conference week, conference day, and uh, Paul Chetwood is the name of the president of the International Mission Board, largest mission-sending organization in the world, and uh, he'll be with us in all of our services, and you will not want to miss this because this guy really helps lead more than 4,500 missionaries serving sharing the gospel all around the world, and we're very involved in supporting them. And uh, I think next week will be a very, very special week. This week is Foster and Adoption Sunday, and we're going to be talking about that, uh, not only in the message, but also as you leave today. Uh, if you'll go through the comments area, there are different displays of the various ministries that help in the foster adoption process. And we'll talk about that just a little bit in the message. Uh, you'll hear some great stories, great testimonies of people in our church that are actually adoptive parents, and uh, we want you to know about the power of adoption. Now, I want you to take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Esther today, the book of Esther. The Old Testament book of Esther is in between uh, the book of Nehemiah and the book of Job. So uh, we want you to know that, and if you can't find those two, then go to the table of contents, if you would. And the table of contents is always so helpful. Today, the, the title of the message is Hope and Faith and Future, Esther chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. Esther chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. By the way, we have uh, hardback versions of the Bible uh, at the doorways, and we always encourage you to pick up one of those. If you don't have that with you or your Bible with you, you want to pick that up, that's great. You can use it or you can take it home, and uh, we'll have page numbers on our screens for those different verses as well. Make them easy to find. You won't have to look at the table of contents at least. You'll know what page number it is. So let's stand together as we turn to Esther chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. And uh, I want to say as we dive into this this particular subject, this particular topic today, that the emphasis of the book of Esther, and we've been here not too long ago as we walked through that book, but the book of Esther is a topic of how God works in unseen and unheard ways. Now, for most of us, that's how God works all the time because God doesn't speak out loud to us, and sometimes we don't see how God works, how we have to trust that he's working in unseen and sometimes unspoken ways. But the book of Esther is the only book in the Bible that does not have the name of God in it. It's also the only book where God is not quoted, where there's not a prophet speaking, or there's not someone else saying the Lord has told us this. But it is a book in which you look at the characters in the book, and you realize God is in work in incredible ways in their lives. You can see God all the way through the book of Esther. So let me set the scene for you before we get into the text. Esther is set during a time when the Jews are in exile to Persia and King Ahasuerus. And so they have been removed from their homeland, and there they are about 450 years or so before the coming of Christ. They're captives. They're slaves. And they're really subject to the whims of this King Ahasuerus. And so that's the situation. 
Uh, King Ahasuerus has deposed his queen for reasons I'll tell you about in just a few moments. And uh, Esther is one of those young women who has been selected to go and, so to speak, audition before the king. So many unjust, unfair things going on here that we won't take time to explain. However, here she is in the presence of the king, and she's talking with her cousin Mordecai. So you'll understand something about the background when we read these verses. Chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. Now there was at the citadel in Susa a Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shammai, the son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been taken into exile from Jerusalem with the captives that had been exiled with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had exiled. So if you want to know in a summary form what's just happened, war has happened. Persia has kidnapped those out of Jerusalem and brought them into exile, away from their homeland in this capital city of, of Susa. It says in verse 7, he was bringing up Halasa, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, that is Mordecai is doing this, for she had no father or mother. Now the young lady was beautiful of form and face, and when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So it came about when the command and decree of the king were heard, and many young ladies were gathered to the citadel of Susa into the custody of Haggai. That is, Esther was taken to the king's palace into the custody of Haggai, who was in charge of the women. Now, the young lady pleased him and found favor with him, so he quickly provided her with cosmetics and food, gave her seven choice maids from the king's palace, and transferred her and her maids to the best place in the harem. Esther did not make known her people or her kindred. That is, she didn't tell them that she was a Jewish girl. For Mordecai had instructed her that she should not make them known. Every day, Mordecai walked back and forth in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and how she fared. All right, we'll stop there for a moment before we dive into this message. Father, today we're going to take just a piece of this whole book. It's a part of this whole story. And Father, we're going to look at the amazing adoption that took place for Esther, placed into the care of Mordecai. Father, my prayer today that we would see your redemptive power in the very picture of adoption and certainly in the life of Esther and how you used her in such a big way at that very critical time in Israel's history. Lord, give us eyes to see, a heart to understand, and a will to follow you. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Please be seated if you would. I love the book of Esther. I love, the, I love the Old Testament books where stories are told about people's lives. I love the narratives. And uh, this is one of those stories that I often say a movie needs to be made about this. And I know there is a movie made about Esther's life, but I, I think I can make a better one than what I've seen. And a movie needs to be made. There's more spiritual truth to share. But it's such an incredible story of, of a young woman at a crossroads in her life and a nation at a crossroads as well. And it's a sensational story because here's this girl who is virtually homeless until she's adopted by Mordecai. And all of a sudden, before too many chapters go by, she's now queen of this whole region. And what's amazing and sensational about this story is something is lost as we read through it very quickly. And that is the picture of her adoption by Mordecai. I know people that have read the whole book of Esther and never really pick up the idea that Mordecai adopted his younger cousin, who is Esther Hadassah, and that really enables the entire story to be told as it should be told. So here's a young girl that's a, a victim in the seemingly endless war between the people who hate the Jewish people 
the people who hate Israel and Israel. Now, just for some awareness, it's 479 B.C. specifically. The nation that King Ahasuerus is over is the land of Persia in biblical times. That was its name today. It's the land of Iran, which is in the news right now. They were known those 2,500 years ago for their hatred of the Jewish people, and much is happening in the same way today. As a matter of fact, if I was preaching a message about Israel and where she is today and what's going on with that war, I might even start from the book of Esther, but that's not the title of this message or the topic. That's just what's happening. She's in the midst of a war, and she's a captive to a nation that hates her people, which is why she doesn't reveal who she is. It's a horrific culture. It's sexist. It is predatory. So many bad things can happen to a young, young woman who is in that culture. And if she's not rescued, her prospects for the future are dismal. But here's what we find in the book of Esther. We find that God placed Esther in a unique family, in a unique time, in an amazing moment of history. Now, I want you to see this as we walk through the book. Because you won't read this in a verse, but what you'll see is behind the scenes, God's unseen hand moving and placing people in the perfect situation for him to be glorified. Do you know God is a placer? God places people. I want you to say the word placer. Are you ready? Placer. God is a placer. Say it one more time. God is a placer. We don't say that much, do we? It's not a word we use a lot. But have you ever felt like God has placed you in a situation and you look around and go, wow, I don't know how I got here, but I know God placed me here. Anybody ever experienced that? Let me just tell you, that's the way God works. God is a placer. He puts people in the places that he wants. And you see that all the way through the scripture. God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. God placed the nation Israel into the land of promise. If you're here as a believer in Jesus Christ, God placed you in this body with gifts and talent and a heart and a passion to walk with us. He places us in the world to represent him. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. He's placed us here for incredible reason. He places people in families through birth and he places people in families through fostering and adoption. I want you to see that today. I want you to see how he placed this young woman, Esther, into the family of Mordecai. Now, you've heard me, if you've been around for long, you've heard me tell the story of my belief that God is the ultimate chess master, that we're just pawns on the chessboard. We have no idea where to go, forward, backward, sideways, diagonal, we don't know. We don't know the strategy that comes against us, but what we do know is as God moves us into place, he's aware of the future, he's aware of the path, he's aware of the threats on all sides. God is the ultimate chess master, and the greatest way to view your life is that perspective. He has got this. We don't, but he does. And you'll see that in the life of Esther. God has moved her around the board, so to speak. Now, I also want you to know as I walk through these points this morning, to realize that there's nothing coincidental in this adoption story or in your life. God is the God of purpose and significance. Everything he does, he has a reason for it. Isn't that reassuring? I mean, in a chaotic world, in a confusing world, a world where not much makes sense, isn't it good to know that God always has a purpose? He always has a significance. 
So I want to give you some things today. Coming out of the story of this adoption by Mordecai of Esther, that'll bring hope and encouragement to you today. First of all, I want you to notice that adoption brings hope to hopeless situations. Adoption brings hope to hopeless situations. We start there in verse 7. And the scripture states it very plainly. For she had no father or mother. And then it clarifies later on in verse 7. When her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. In other words, to tell the story, it's clear that she has no mother or father at that moment. But she had a mother and father, and they had died presumably in the war. Presumably in the occupation of the Persian people of Jerusalem, and as they came and invaded Jerusalem, and as they took them off to exile, they died in that process. Now, I want you to take a moment and imagine the hopelessness of the situation. I don't want you to view Esther as a quick flyby of a larger book. I want you to take a moment and think about her as a young woman. Imagine being in exile in a foreign land, slaves to those that captured you. Take a moment to think about what it means to be a slave, to have no rights, to absolutely be at the mercy of your captors, to have to do whatever that person who owns you as a slave required of you. Imagine that your parents have died and there's no one to protect you, no one to speak up for you, no one to stand in the gap for you. Imagine now being a young girl all alone without protection in this predatory kind of culture. All you have to do is read the first chapter of the book of Esther. Uh, King Ahasuerus and all he's doing, and you know everybody else in the nation is living in that kind of immorality, in that kind of mindset. If you went back and read chapter 1, King Ahasuerus has called a big party to take place, and he's required of his queen, Queen Vashti, to dance in a seductive way in front of all the soldiers and the capt captains that have gathered for this party. Now, Queen Vashti must be a person of character because she absolutely refuses to dance for the men. And in response, King Ahasuerus is embarrassed by her response and the fact that she dared disobey him, that he deposed her as queen and said, I know what I'll do. I'll find another queen. I'll find someone who will do what I ask them to do. That's the leader of this particular culture. Can you imagine this young girl, unprotected, young and without anyone to speak up for her, can you imagine what her life might have been like without intervention? Can you imagine how she would be exploited, perhaps become a prostitute or worse, in every way used up? It's a hopeless situation. You know, the word hopeless is one of those words that we don't use a great deal, but hopelessness is the word that we do use when we no longer believe a situation can be redeemed. When we no longer believe that this situation with its circumstances by itself can be redeemed. When we say hopelessness, we mean somebody needs to step up and rescue somebody else. There needs to be someone to stand in the gap, to intervene, to bring change to that circumstance, which is exactly what this picture gives us today. It's a hopeless situation. Now, enter the man named Mordecai. Actually, in the Scripture, Mordecai is mentioned in the book of Esther before Esther is really given detail as to her life. He's a compassionate, he's a God-fearing Jewish man who is actually her older cousin and knows of the death of her parents. 
And God divinely, here's his word, he places her into his custody under the compassionate care of his older cousin who is doing the right thing. And he adopts her as his own daughter. I love that line. He considers her his own daughter. How many fathers in the room have daughters? Would you raise your hand if you're a father and you have a daughter? Would you raise your hand? I I have three daughters and three sons. And I'm not saying I wouldn't come and rescue my sons, but I'm saying I would absolutely come and rescue every one of my daughters. (laughs) I consider it a personal charge in life to protect them from everything they need to be protected from. I would do anything, go any distance, uh, do anything I would have to do to keep them safe and to keep them going in the direction they need to go in. My favorite movies are daddy rescue movies where they rescue the daughters. You know those movies. I've mentioned those before. No need to bring them up again. Something goes on in the heart of a good father towards his daughter. And Mordecai, the Bible says, considered Esther as his own daughter. And everywhere in this story, you've got amazing depictions and interactions and conversations where he's watching out for her, where he's listening to what's going on, where he's shepherding her in every way he possibly can. And by the way, that's just what foster and adoptive parents do, what Mordecai is doing. Now, certainly I'm not saying that birth parents don't do that. I'm saying that every foster parent, every adoptive parent has this heart of Mordecai who wants to show compassion towards someone in need. And by the way, the Bible is filled with the admonitions from God that we are to pay attention to those in great need. In fact, God, as a father, says, I care about those that are in such a need. Let me just kind of go back and look at some scriptures with you. In Psalm 149, verse 146, rather, verse 9, there's a great passage that kind of reflects the heart of God here. And here's what it says. It says, the Lord protects the strangers. He supports the fatherless and the widow, but he thwarts the way of the wicked. You're going to see this play out in the life of Esther, but this is just the heart of God, the compassion of God. Now, God's compassion It's not just an objective, standalone compassion. God's compassion is often exercised through people who show compassion. In this case, Mordecai, this adoptive father, and in our emphasis today, the foster parents and the adoptive parents of children who are in need. Then there's Psalm 31. We often quote this Psalm, when, or rather Proverbs 31, when we talk about uh, speaking up for the unborn. And here's what it says. Open your mouth for the mute. For the rights of all the unfortunate, open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the afflicted and needy. So this is actually a command to God-fearing people, God-following people to speak up for those that cannot speak for themselves. They may be in horrific circumstances like Esther was and like others are, and we're to speak up on their behalf. Then there's this great account of Jesus interacting with the disciples about little children that have come to him. You can't get a better picture of the compassion of God than Jesus saying to the disciples, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. If you want to know what God thinks about children, look right there at the expression of God in the flesh about the little children that are coming unto him. James chapter 1, verse 27, another great, great verse to the church of Jesus. James, in his bold and straightforward way, says it like this, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God and our Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress. 
and to keep oneself unstained by the world. What a command. The church cannot ignore widows, orphans. We have to come along beside them and around them and help them in every way that we can possibly help. In recent months, I've met some pretty incredible people as we've begun to embark on talking about an adoption and foster ministry. I've, I've met people that are like Mordecai, people who have responded in these ways to the biblical call to compassion. And what they do is they see hopeless situations in terms of children that have been placed up for adoption, and they're willing to step in the gap. They're willing to pray through this and bring uh, themselves and allow themselves to be brought to a place of conviction. And they really embark on a spiritual journey, a financial journey, and certainly a physical journey, an extraordinary effort to get to the place where they can make a decision to foster or adopt a child. Even though sometimes the crowd around them will say, it may never work, you may not know what you're getting into, sometimes there are all those negative voices, and then they sense this conviction from God, and they take the step forward. You've got to admire people of courage and conviction who do that. Amen? Are you with me this morning? Some time ago, the couple that goes to our church came up to me and handed me a, a long letter, and that letter told a story. They were aware of a, of a child in their not immediate family, but nearby family, and uh, this child was in need through the dysfunction of her family. And this husband and wife were kneeling right over here during a Jericho prayer time years ago. We've been doing this for years. And in that prayer time, they felt the Lord lead them to step up and adopt this young girl. And it was just in that prayer time that they began to have that conviction and heard the call of God. And they stepped forward to do that. And that's exactly what took place. And their story unfolded in a beautiful, powerful way, which it is happening today. It's incredible what God does in people's lives when they surrender themselves to do that. And I've heard these stories. These are amazing stories. It's really interesting that in all these stories, every story that I've heard recently has a phone call moment. A phone call moment where they've done all the prep work. Adoptive parents have prepared and prayed and persevered and waited and waited and waited. They've been on a spiritual journey, a physical journey, a psychological journey. They've got their houses already. They've got their homes and minds already. And finally, the day arrives where they get a phone call. And it's the shocking kind of thing, even though they've prepared. And that phone call, person on the other end of the phone says, come get your child. And all of a sudden, it all comes rushing back to them. Oh, okay, this is the moment that I've been preparing for. And that phone call means all the legal steps have taken place. All the money has been raised. It means the details are all taken care of, and it's time for the new beginning in that child's life, and it's time really for a new chapter on the part of these parents. Like in Mordecai's life, like in Esther's life, change is on the horizon, and hope has dawned. Adoption brings hope, but adoption also brings faith to the next generation. I see that in the life of Esther. As we started this text, we started in verse 5, which gives a little bit of the background of Mordecai. Notice what it says again. Now, there was at the citadel of Susa, a Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shammai, the son of Kish, a Benjamite. And right there you have the history of Mordecai. This history is Jewish history, 
it is replete with and full of stories of how God has worked in powerful ways to protect the Jewish people. So we know this about Mordecai. He was a descendant of Saul, and the Talmud identifies him as a prophet. Even though he wasn't speaking as a prophet during this time, he was known as a prophet. This man knew the ways of God. He knew how God had worked in the past. He knew how God leads, how God rescues, how God redeems. He knew about God. Now, the way the Jewish people passed on their faith and their awareness of history was by what we know as oral tradition. They shared with the next generation at the dinner table, so to speak, and at the festivals and feasts of Israel, here's what Jehovah Almighty has done in our history. Here's why we know we can trust the Lord our God. Here's how we know that. And so Esther would have heard from her parents, first of all, for however long they lived, and now she's hearing from Mordecai. Faith is being passed from one generation to the next. And she's going to need it because she's going to be the queen of a pagan, wicked ruler. She's going to need every ounce of faith her parents could have imparted or that Mordecai could impart. She's going to need every ounce of faith that history could have provided her, but she was given that faith, and it's really remarkable to see how it all unfolds. In fact, when I read the story of Mordecai and Esther, I thought, they have so much to teach us about passing faith on to the next generation. Can you think about this for a moment? We don't know what the next generation is going to face in America or in the world, but it's not looking real optimistic if you ask me. How do we prepare them for that? And the way we prepare them for that is by their faith in an almighty God who rises above the ups and downs of a nation or a world. Here's this young woman. Faith is being passed on to her. And the reason we know that is even though the name of God is not mentioned, and even though there is no command from God in the book of Esther, so to speak, you see faith being reflected in their conversation. So Esther realizes by the time she's a queen that there's a wicked man named Haman. He wants them all dead. All the Jews are his target. He wants to completely exterminate them. And the only way she can really intervene is to have an unrequested audience before the king in that day and time. Even if you're queen, you can't just walk into the king's chambers and say, can we talk? That's not how it worked back then. If you went into the chambers without an invitation, you might be put to death. And so the whole conversation between Mordecai and Esther was, how will you get word to the king that wicked Haman wants to put us to death? How are you going to do that? And Mordecai says to her in Esther chapter 4, verse 14, it's reflecting faith all the way through. If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. He's recognizing the sovereignty of God right there. If it's not you, God will raise up somebody else. And you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. Who knows? That God hasn't placed you in this position at this moment, at this time, in this history, so that you can speak up. And what does Esther say? She says maybe the most famous lines in the book of Esther. She says, so I'll do this. You fast and pray for me for three days, and I'm going to go into the king. And here's what she says. She says, and if I die, I die. Now, that's either foolishness or faith. But we know it's faith. You see, what's happened in Mordecai's shepherding of Esther is 
He has helped her know that the Most High God, the God of Israel, Yahweh, Jehovah, will rescue them. And she's positioned to do that very thing, to intervene on behalf of her nation. God has placed her in this place. There is a woman that goes to our church. Many of you know Deanna Dar. She's in our choir. She sings on our stage from time to time. And I interviewed for her uh, for a podcast with her some months ago, and it's on our website, where I asked her about uh, her history of being adopted. And in that interview, she talked about her adoptive parents and the fact that they introduced her to faith in Jesus Christ. And she just talked about the, the incredible thing that God did in and letting her be placed for adoption and letting those parents step in and actually receive her in adoption and share faith with her. And later on, as she went back and met her biological mom, realizing that if I had been raised in that home, I would not have known Christ as early or in the same way that I know him now. In other words, from her perspective, she sees adoption from the perspective of God at placing her in the perfect home at the perfect time for her to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, Deanna is a high school teacher, and she influences many hundreds and thousands of kids towards Jesus in her ministry that she has in those schools. Adoption really does bring faith to the next generation. Then it, it does something else. Adoption brings a future to many, a future to many. Now, if you know anything about the book of Esther, you know where I'm going with this. Israel, the people of God, are rescued. It's an amazing story. There are all kinds of ups and downs in this story. There's this crazy, crazy, but not coincidental string of events where only God could have orchestrated the thing to happen in the book of Esther, but eventually led to the hanging of Haman and led to the giving of permission by King Ahasuerus to the Jewish people to defend themselves, and they do, and they do it well. So in Esther chapter 9, verse 1, we read this. On the day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain mastery over them, it was turned to the contrary so that the Jews themselves gained the mastery over those who hated them. 2,500 years ago, that's the statement that was made by how God intervened. If you want to know how I pray for Israel, I pray for them like this. Right there. So that those that hate Israel will all of a sudden realize they have no mastery to carry that out, but that the Jewish people would be protected. God does this over and over and over for the Jewish people. Just read the Old Testament to see what happens time after time. But I want you to see one thing with clarity. Don't, don't let what I've said get, make all these other things get lost in those words. Here's what I want you to see. Esther's adoption and her faith along with how God allowed her to become queen, brought a future to all of the Jewish people in that city. The rescue was significant. Targeted for extermination, they instead see God, saw God turn the tables on the whole picture. Now, let me just say this to you today. In any scenario, adoption brings a future to many that would not be possible without the compassion and dedicated acts of adoptive parents or foster parents. I told you about some families that I've gotten to know recently. We actually have a video that introduces three families and just their journey for fostering and adoption. And I want you to see what we've said today, the background behind that, the prayer, the conviction, the provision, the open doors, and watch what the result is. Early on, um, 
I knew I wanted to be a mom. Ever since a student pastor I had adopted, I knew I would like to have an adopted child of my own. Um, we were talking about how we wanted to have kids and you know what our family would look like, and I mentioned to him that I was interested in adoption. And his response was, I've always been interested in it too. I started being interested in foster and adoption when I knew I could offer a stable, loving home to a, a kid who needs that. The Lord just got it and directed us step by step um, to the point where we were, you know, a licensed foster family. So we have Wren, who is 10 years old. She's in fifth grade. And uh, a couple years after she was born, we had a miscarriage. We just felt like God was continuing to show us that the next child for us, um, it, it would be through adoption. We were about to have a uh, discussion with our adoption agency um, about what steps we take moving forward, and we get a call to come pick up Mila. We picked her up at the hospital and walked out with a baby girl, and uh, she's a riot. It's all gas, no brake, and never stops moving and never stops cracking jokes. She's a delight. When we were ready to try for a second child and we went through the same exact protocol, after quite a few months and a whole lot of money, um, my our doctor just sweetly said, it's not, it's not working. Honestly thought God had forgotten my family. And it just so happened that our friend, uh, Beth Wright, who's another adoptive mom, um, she and I were talking, and she looked at me dead in the face, and she said, Amanda, God has not forgotten your family. And that, for me, as sweetly as she said it, was the truth that I needed. When we got the phone call, the lady's like, hey, is this Amanda? Yes, ma'am. How can I help you? And she said, well, you have a daughter. And I just stopped breathing for a second. And I just thought, oh my gosh, it's it. You have a daughter. Wait a minute, she's, she's a she. Oh my gosh, she's here. Like, what? And, and she goes, yeah, you have a daughter. When can you get here? My family doesn't look like um, every other family. I am a single mom of three of the best kids. I have Sean, he's 16 years old, and Nevea is 14, and Callie is 12. Even though we don't have the same DNA, she is as much mine as Ren is. She is 100% a right. There was not a shadow of a doubt that little girl wasn't meant for us. She fits so perfectly. Main reason of foster adoption matters is because it's the hands and the feet of Jesus. Think about the church family. It is adoptive in its own nature. And we get to be, you know, sons and daughters of God as if we were brothers and sisters of Christ. Don't let fear keep you from doing what God's called you to do. Some of the most fearful times in my life is when I've done really hard things that God's wanted me to do. There are so many things that you can do to bless those adoptive families. As families step into fostering and adoption, we as a church have to wrap our arms around them. There's lots of ways to get involved and nothing is too big or too small. Celebrate that together for just a moment. Would you do that? Wow.
Some of those people on the video, you know them well. Come along behind them and just love on them and let them know that you see them as the courageous, compassionate people that they really are. And what a great thing to be able to do. Here you have this biblical picture of adoption. You have just real life stories of how adoptions take place and how incredibly important it really is. And, and I want to ask you a couple of questions today. Do you see how this works? Do you understand how it is a huge decision that people make, but a compassionate decision that really reflects the love and compassion of Jesus Christ? And I want you to see also how God can use a foster and adoption ministry in our church. It's something that's emerging, something that's beginning, but something that's very, very, very exciting. And that's why we're, compassionate, we're passionate about it. But let me tell you the, the other side of this picture that, that depicts the need. You may not know this, but if adoption doesn't take place, there are children who are placed for adoption who are never really adopted to parents. According to Buckner Children's Home, more than 7,000 children await adoption in the state of Texas alone, more than 120,000 nationwide. Their parents' rights have already been terminated. In other words, it's been determined that these parents cannot raise them, and so they are now waiting for adoptive parents, and they have not yet been adopted. If never adopted, 1,000 children will age out of the system every year. And if they age out of the system, nearly half will become either homeless or incarcerated. Seven of ten young women who age out of the system at the age of 18 are pregnant by the age of 21. And I look at that and I think 7,000 kids. There are more than 7,000 evangelical churches in the state of Texas, way more. What would happen if churches simply had a burden and a passion to help being part of the solution and stand behind parents who are willing to do this fostering and this adopting and for the church to support them and love them and encourage them and, and make it possible. The kingdom of God can meet the need that culture has created if we will. And that's why we emphasize what we're emphasizing today because we can and should do everything we possibly can. Whether God's caused you to be an adoptive parent or a foster parent or not, everybody can do something to help Make sure that this process works well. You know, one of the great things about the story of Esther, the subject of adoption, is the reality that each one of us, every single person in this room, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you too have been adopted. You've been adopted by God the Father. Now think about that for just a moment. Think about what that means. Romans chapter 8, verse 15 says, For you've not been given a slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Adoption is an illustration of really what happens to every one of us who come to faith in Jesus Christ. Today, I want you to think about something. I also want you to take a little bit of a walk. It won't take you long. You won't have a whole lot more steps on your step counter, but you will walk away far more educated about what adoption and the process is all about. In our lobby today, in our commons area, we have set up at least six stations, and those six stations uh, have representatives behind them for the different ministries that are available for fostering and adopting parents. For example, there's MCWC, which we have for years stood behind, and this is the point of counsel, where a young woman comes and gets counseling about her unplanned pregnancy, and often they come to faith in Jesus, and 
more often than that, they actually uh, keep their child in the sense of having the child instead of aborting the child. I think we've celebrated close to 40,000 kids that have been basically rescued and born because of MCWC. And I celebrate that all the time, and I know you do as well. Amen. 40,000. A lot of kids. There's Embrace Grace represented in, in our comments area. That's where uh, moms come in who are at the point of decision, and they are discipled and lovingly led through the decision process. Uh, and many of them end up keeping their child or placing them for adoption. It's an incredible ministry. There are adoption uh, agencies out there. There are fostering agencies out there. But the important thing is that the body of Christ become aware of how we can come alongside foster and adoptive parents, how we can come alongside the kids that have such a huge need of seeing the compassion of God. No contribution of time, talent, and prayer is too small Everyone can do something, but first you have to know. So do a favor for me. Walk through the comments. Browse through. Take just a few moments, and you'll walk away with a sense of how God is working in this whole picture of adoption. Now, I've got three invitations for you or more today. Number one, if you would like to talk to someone about putting your faith in Jesus Christ, today our decision station is open. I talked at the end of this message about what it meant to be adopted as sons and daughters by God the Father. It means putting your faith and trust in Christ. We really want to talk to you about that. Number two, I ask you if you're a guest to come to guest reception room right outside the center exit doors and out uh, into the hallway. Glass in room there, I'll be there to talk to you about, um, about the church and about ways you can connect. Uh, thirdly, I invite you to come back. Next week is a big mission uh, Sunday week. And fourthly, I invite you to go through the comments area on your way out today. All right? Thank you so much for being, being here today. Let's stand together as we close out in prayer. Father, I am so grateful for the story of Esther. Grateful for the living illustration of adoption. Grateful that you, Father, adopt us as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. Grateful for people who have already made this journey of physically adopting a son or a daughter into their home. Father, I thank you for the ministries that, that serve to that end to help people know and take steps to support this. Lord, today I pray for those 7,000 children that are yet unadopted, yet not placed. And Father, I ask that you move in a, in a powerful way to help that take place. Help us as believers to live out the compassion that you've shown to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful Lord's Day.